Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, on this new year by the misty, miraculous, and meticulous Mad Wizard Merwin. Happy New Year, Sean. Happy New Year to you, Chris, and Happy New Year to all our wonderful listeners. They are wonderful, aren't they? They are, and they are listeners, if they are, in fact, listening. <laughs> yes. I mean, that would be the, sort of the definition of that, right? Like... <laughs> words words mean things. That's where we are in this new is, year, Chris. Is that what's going on? Words mean things? Is that words... what we decided? Words have meanings, and we are going to make sure that we use the, most of them correctly. All right. Um, so today we're going to do some announcements, and we're going to get back into our discussion about Descent into Avernus. Mm-hmm. Start talking about the Path of Demons, I believe, right? I hope so, because that's what I read. God, I hope so, too, because that's what I read. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, let's do some announcements. Uh, two new members of the ALA Ventures League team have been uh, brought on. Who are they? They are. They are Latia Bryant and Maat Crook. They are joining the AL admin team as community managers. Uh, They were introduced on the latest episode of Adventurers Wanted, which uh, comes out monthly on the D&D Twitch channel. We have a link in the show notes, but you can just go to Twitch slash Twitch TV slash D&D and it'll be right there. And so um, the current team talked to the new team and you can follow uh, Latia and Maat on Twitter uh, Latia is at the Lady Tiefling, and Maat is at M A A T C R O O K. And we are looking forward. I have not really spent much time with either of them, so hopefully in this new year I will get lots of opportunities to work with both. Yeah, I hope so too for you. And if you do look at that latest episode of Adventurers Wanted, you will also see an interview with Navigator. Ashley Lawson, who talked about editing the Oracle of War content and talked about Eberron in general. So you can catch that great information as well. So what does the title of Navigator uh, mean in this context? Just a nickname. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't I didn't know. Neat. I like yep. it. All right. Um, so that's that's interesting. I'll be watching that later because I'm, I'm all about the Oracle of War. I'm, in fact... Uh, I'm running that campaign on uh, on Thursday evenings locally, so that's that's been fun. I got a nice little party of adventurers together. You did the first one. Uh, we're partially through the first one. Cool, because it's only two hour time slots. Oh, okay. So yeah, you're about halfway done. I hope. Uh, well, we had to make characters and stuff, so we're really okay. about about a third of the way done. Nice. Next thing is uh, apparently there's no country for high-level characters. This is an article I found out there. Uh, it'll be a link in the show notes. And on D&D Beyond, there is an uh, infographic about who is playing what level of character. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly to me, most of the gameplay is being played between uh, 1 and 10. Yes. I would say, what, between 1 and 10, 95 percent. Of the gameplay is between level 1 and 10? I think it's 90. 90? Because I'm 95, looking... 95 is between 1 and 13. Or maybe even more than that. Okay. So so 11 is 2%, 12 is 2%, 13 is 1, 14 is 1, 15 is 1, 
16 through 19 is 0%. Not that no one has 19th, 18th, 17th, 16th level characters. They're just statistically insignificant in terms yep. of percentages. And then 2% at 20. Because so why two, not, right? 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. So 91%. Of gameplay with at least people creating characters is uh, ten or lower. Uh huh. Yep. And so, just talking to all the people out there who always scream about how come no one's putting any high level content on the DMs Guild, say this is this is why, or how come the AL isn't producing tons and tons of tier four uh, adventures? This is why. This is why. Although and they should probably take a poll of uh, of of AL players for that 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 uh, particular question. True, true, yeah. But uh, there is a lot more tier four or tier three even adventures league content um, than there are players who want it. Statistically speaking. Also, writing a tier three or four adventure and uh, for a four hour slot's really hard. Yeah, especially in Adventures League when you have had no control over the progress of the characters mm-hmm. uh, as as the DM. So yes, this this is not surprising to me at all. Um, it pretty much goes along with everything that has been speculated, and you know, Wizards often says this, and people say, "No, that's not true. You're just saying that because you don't want to play make high level content." Uh, well, th- this pretty much, yeah, this. This goes right along, and it it uses math to prove something to be true. Yeah, it also shows why a lot of the campaign content. Um, well, here let's let's put it out there. How much campaign? How much content is actually out there for tier three and tier four? I don't imagine there's that. I, I imagine there's a bunch of it, but not a ton of it. Um, so I mean, is it the just to play devil's advocate? Because I agree with you, Sean. But to play devil's advocate, is it chicken and the egg? Like, is it nobody playing it because there's no content for it? No. I didn't think so either, but I right. wanted to throw I it mean, out there. For Adventurers League, you have people who have gone through and gotten their character to, say, level 17. Um, and so they obviously want to play those characters, and that's completely natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of just fostering resources... You want to provide content where it will be played the most. You know, I, so I have, so those people should be supported, no doubt. They just some people want more support than is warranted. Yeah, I have That's a feeling all. those people that have the two percent of the twentieth level characters are the people who are playing a lot of Adventures League. They got their characters through tier three and tier four, or or they just they just or you just go some random dude just goes and creates a twentieth level character. I mean, yeah, it has no, is, nothing to do with AL, right? It's just oh, let's true, yeah. let let's see what a twentieth twentieth char- level character looks like. Let's create it because they're only t- tagging the, uh, the the levels of the characters that are on D and D Beyond, right? Like so, this is right. also that 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 slice of it, but that is probably the one of the better um, example slices that we have. Right, and what's interesting though is that third level is the highest, which shows that probably a lot of people are starting their campaigns at third level. Mm-hmm. It is very interesting. So, yeah. Also, where the game uh, is being played the most is in that that tier, that borderline tier one, tier two space, which Mm -hmm. honestly has generally always been kind of the sweet spot of Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. Like, that's just D&D, right? Like, yeah, three through eight, that sort of range. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Next thing, and last thing before we get into our topic, is uh, there are some illustrated D&D character sheets that are very 
ex- uh, exceptionally put together for people with dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the only one that I've seen that I have a link to, but uh, there, there's a bunch of them that have been popping up in my Twitter feed and in other places. So if you have dyslexia, there's a bunch of character sheets that people are making just for you, which is really neat. Yeah, and I would love to hear uh, on the boards. Go to our forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. Go to the Down with D&D channel and uh, let us know if you have dyslexia or some other uh, way that you have trouble with a uh, with a regular character sheet. Let us know what works for you and what doesn't. Um, that would be great information to have. Well, let me tell you, my partner Jen is dyslexic, and I'm mm-hmm. actually going to print out one of these sheets for her, uh, and because I just I just recently found them, mm-hmm. and see how she uh, adapts to it, like how much she likes it. Because right. I've actually watched her take her character sheets and uh, color code them, because it's easier for her to understand it because they're okay. color coded. Yeah, I, when I looked at the sheet, I noticed that one of the big things was color coding, um, c- color coding the different lines. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. shapes and colors are a lot easier for people, from, from what I have been told, with dyslexia to discern. Right. So That's there you awesome. go. That's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, also, when we get to our sneak attack, I'll have some more commentary about the Ranger Beastmaster because we've been using it a bunch lately. The new mm. one, it's really good, really okay. good. Cool. All right, let's get into our main topic for the day, which is. Uh, ch- uh, Descent into Avernus, Part 10. So we are in the middle of Chapter 3. We've mm-hmm. already covered um, some of that, and we are now to the Path of Demons. So let's do the quick recap, shall we, Chris? Sure, let's do it up. The characters spend time in Baldur's Gate. They learn that El Torel was dragged down into Avernus. They eventually meet Lulu the Hollyphant, who travels with them to Avernus. Uh, in, when they get to Avernus, they are in El Torel, which is hanging above the river Styx, being dragged down by chains. The companion has been turned into a horrible dark void, and the city has many survivors, and it's not completely overrun with demons and devils yet because the blood war is raging beneath them. Lucky for them. After rescuing Grand Duke Ravenguard, they learn that the key to saving El Torel is in finding Zeriel's sword, and Lulu thinks that she can probably regain her memories along the way and help them find it. So they go to Fort Knucklebones, get some more memories back for Lulu there, head to Harriman's Hill, where Lulu thinks the clues begin. Uh, And then finally, she comes up with, dregs up enough memories to know that there are two places where they could start. And that's where we will begin here. One um, path will lead the characters on the path of demons. The other will lead them on the path of devils. So today, we're going to cover the path of demons. So I haven't read ahead through the path of devils, because we're going to talk about the path of demons, but I have a feeling that some of these locations will cross over the different paths. Okay. Uh, based based on what I read. Right. So I have not read far enough to know that either, so we will find out. Yeah, because um, we'll get to that. So mm. let's let's start with the spawning trees. So this is where you get led to first. This and, is or true. do you want to talk about this whole like section first in general? Yeah, let's talk about the section in general. So this uh, is this is a path, right? Like it is legitimately like you go from from location to location to location dealing with stuff. This is a if if we break it right down to its barest bones, this is a fetch quest, right? And well, yeah, in, in the in the old. Um, sort of Baldur's Gate video game way where it's like person A says uh, go go get me something 
so and start here. So you go to person B. Person B says, oh, I don't have that, but maybe go to person C. You go to person C, and person C says, I don't have that, but if you do this other thing for me, I'll tell you where it is. So you do that other thing, and then you come back, and person C says, okay, go to person D, and she'll be able to help you. Then you go to person D, and person D says, well, you know, I had that, but I don't have it anymore. I gave it to person E. And if you do this thing for me, I will tell you who person E is. And it's that sort of, yeah, it's 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 a fetch quest path, right? And and normally I would be annoyed with something like this, but it's actually pretty themey because yes. of the location. What what saves it for the most part is location and how distinct each of these things are. And in some with some parties, they are not going to be fond of this, even with all the themey stuff. Um, so as we go through. I would like to talk about ways to, for a DM who has a party that will get um, bogged down in this, will not appreciate it, um, some things you might do. Yeah, I'd also like to talk about how this is um, a structure for for the adventure, but it's not, you don't have to just go from location to location with this, because remember, they're an Avernus, like there's the rules for traveling from place to place, right? Right. And also, there there's are, the warlords yeah, that are running around. Precisely. And and that's what I was going to say, is uh, if, you, if you have a party that is not heavy into role-playing, who just wants to do the thing and get on to the next part, you might be able to run this whole path in two hours. Probably, uh, yeah. E but even even with the um, even with the crypt of the Hellriders, I mean, it's more it's, of that, that stuff's a, more role playing, right? Uh, there, there's very little combat here. There's really even very little exploration here. It's more if you just follow the path. It's go to the path, talk to somebody. Uh, they tell you something. Move to the next next step in the path they tell you something move to the next step there may be like if you pass a this skill check this person will now help you you know that sort of thing so it can be very very quick um what you want to do if you have a party that is um not not big on the way this is set up is intersperse as chris said the travel the warlords Bring a second thread into it so you're interweaving it rather than just following this one string. Because, honestly, if you're just following this one string, uh, even, even like, I like it a lot, but I would get bored just doing the one thing. Right. The thing that excites me about it is because it's not the only thing going on. Yep. What I would do, Chris, is if I was on this path, I would bring in Mahadi's Traveling Emporium. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about that. That's another thing that should show up now and again. Right. So... They, they get to the first place. They're told to go to the Tower of Urm. So off they head toward the tower. Mahadi's Wandering Emporium shows up. Mahadi says, hey, look at all the stuff I've got. You could buy this stuff. Bring in a subplot. Maybe that subplot is Mahadi says, you know, I used to have this person that worked for me. She's a warlord now. If you run across her, deliver her a message for me. Yeah, right? and that could be and the, uh, the golden the, hand one, right? The, the the necromancer warlord. Yeah, I think she right. drives the golden the golden yep. hand or something like that. Exactly. So then they they do the Tower of Urm and they head off toward the obelisk. When they as they're traveling to the obelisk, they come across this warlord. 
They deliver a message. Maybe she becomes infatuated with one of the PCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mahadi's not going to like that. Now, it could no. be infatuated in terms of you know, romantically. It could be infatuated in terms of, you know, I would love to animate that dead body. Yeah, you know, exactly, could, right? But, like, that's so, the same thing. So, you know, so the characters encounter her. Then they go to the obelisk. As they go from the obelisk to uh, the mirror of Mephistar, they come across Mahadi again, who says, "Hey, did you deliver my message?" And then they can, and then he can figure out, "Oh, why does she like this character?" And then there could be some enmity there or some curiosity. And and so now you're bringing a second story into the, just this one straight line. And even the people that they meet at the steps along this path can help them with that other story you know maybe um, one of the uh, people one of the demons or devils that they meet uh, can help them deal with this whole Mahadi necromancer storyline so don't be afraid to let the character story overtake the story thread that's part of this path Mm -hmm. so that's Overall, that's what I wanted to get across, and it sounds like you're on the same page as I am with yeah, that. Yeah, abs- absolutely, because it's all about um, like like these different moments that you can have that can uh, enhance and then uh, give you a different feel for what's going on, realizing like the, the thing that you're doing isn't the only thing that's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which gives it a, a much, I don't know, fuller feel to it. Like, it makes the story feel full mm-hmm. or uh, complete or bigger than just what is going on in your little spotlight of the world. All right, so with uh, that all together, by the way, there's other cool things in the book that you can look at, too. Like, uh, there's Smiler, the Defier, that you can utilize, another warlord that can that, that's wandering around. There's also story hooks in the Emporium that you can utilize. We should probably talk about them at some point. Yeah, when we get to that part of the book. Yeah, which is like the end, er, which is coming up, actually. It's after the Path of Devils. Yep. All right. So the next, th- uh, we're, we're, let's talk about this spawning tree. Okay. So this is the first place. Uh, you want to... You Take this one? Sure. So the characters are told by Lulu, there's two places you can go. One of the places is the spawning trees, which uh, brings them on the path of demons. So when the characters get there, um, let me step back even one more time and talk about encounters themselves. You know, when you go into encounter, there's lots of things that you can think of. Uh, You can think of what's the goal of the characters. What's the main uh, hurdle for them to reach that goal? What are the consequences if they succeed or fail? You know, all of those things, um, when you're creating an encounter or when you're DMing an encounter, those should be at top of mind. Um, so with this, they're trying to find out where the Bleeding Citadel is. That's that's what's at top of mind for the characters when they go here. Yep. Um, so they encounter four bearded devils who are picking on a fifth named Crickendolt um, who was turned into who was turned chaotic good by a brain injury. Hey man, do devils have brains? That's what I'm wondering. I guess they do. Um, I mean, according to this, they do. If you have a brain injury, then you have to have a brain. Otherwise, there's no injury. Um, Anyway, so Crickendolt and these four other bearded devils are tasked with destroying these trees that are creating uh, abyssal chickens it's an abyssal chicken hatchery so abyssal chickens of course are these little tiny demons that look like chickens and they run around and 
They look like something things. straight out of Silent Hill, honestly. Yeah, they're they're pretty gruesome looking. But they're adorable in a they're, devilish they're, kind of way. They're, or they're adorable kind of way. in a horrible way, yes. Yeah. Uh, so this it this would not be much of a combat encounter. Um, so the characters should remember that th- what they're here to do is find the Bleeding Citadel. And so you can think through what happens if the characters just wipe out the, the devils. Um, the devils are the ones that have the information on where the characters might find information about the Bleeding Citadel. So think about what happens if Crickendall joins the party because he would be a great guide for the party since he's on his home turf here. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also get a fiendish chicken as a familiar. Uh, think think all those things through with your particular group of players. Do you want it to happen? Do you not want it to happen? What are the ramifications if they do? What are the ramifications if they don't? All of those things. You know, there's also a, a very, very last-ditch thing that you can utilize if... For some reason, all of your asset, all of your avenues for where the players can go next are are eliminated. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is following Lulu's memories. Mm-hmm. So, in the very, very end, if need be, you can have Lulu remember the next place to go. Sure, sure, and and that's totally fine. That also gets to be a little Deus Ex Machina. Oh, um, I'm if, with if, I'm with if you. It, if it happens all the time, so you yeah. you don't if if the characters are just totally destroying everything in their path when. They should be getting information instead. You know, have Lulu remind them. And if they continue that behavior, make consequences for that behavior. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, The consequences don't have to mean total failure of the whole adventure, but it could mean some very difficult sledding ahead, um, including giving up all their souls um, or worse to get that information. Yeah. Like I said, Lulu's your last resort. Yep. I so mean, if the, having yeah. to make a deal for finding information is way more actually compelling uh, right. than than that. Yeah. So, if the if the characters deal with the bearded devils in a calm and rational manner, they the devils demand a soul coin, and they will tell the characters that um, the wizard Mordenkainen has a base at the Tower of Erm. And he can probably help them since he's a powerful wizard mm-hmm. and would know such things. Yeah, absolutely. So from there, the characters have their next step in the quest, which is the Tower of Erm. And the bearded devils will mark a spot on the map where this tower is. And the map will talk to them. And there's like little quotes in the in the book about what the map will say about each of these little places. It's kind of neat. I like yeah, it a lot. It is. Um, uh, another thing you can do is if the players just straight out attack the, the devils, uh, you can have Crick and Dolt not attack the characters and mm-hmm. seek to protect uh, their satchel, which is where their demonic chicken earwax is. Yes. Because, one, that's odd, right? Like, why is this bearded devil protecting the satchel? That's that's right. a curiosity that'll right. raise a question. And then, of course, when they realize it's an abyssal chicken that he actually is fond of, or they're fond of, then, uh, you know, like, they're like, what's up? Like, this is not normal. Yep. Yep, that's why they're picking on Crickendult, the other bearded devils, is because he feels bad about slaughtering these infernal chickens, and he's actually taken one called Earwax as a pet. Yeah, that's actually supposed to be the thing that is like that's supposed to get the characters to like, what's going on here? Like yep. that is that is the triggering incident. That's like, why yep. are they uh, picking on that poor bearded devil? Yep. So make sure you present that uh, emphatically before the characters make any decisions, and that's 
that's you know part A of any encounter is what information does the, do the characters have going in, and what information do they learn immediately upon entering the encounter, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure you give that information before they make take their actions that will result in any consequences. All right, let's talk about the Tower of Erm. Mm-hmm. So this is my first ever encounter in a, an adventure of any sort where Morden Kanan is present. Yeah, Morden yeah. Kanan's a. Oh, you have to edit that out. I can't say that. Morden Kanan's a jerk. He really is. Um, He, yeah. You you think of him, you hear about him in lore, uh, you know, from Greyhawk, and he just seems like another version of Elminster. Ah, he ain't. No. No, he he travels here to to Avernus frequently to do uh, study of magic in the Hells. And he'll hire uh, Mesoloths and Nike. I can't say that Nikoloths to do work for him. So, so they're at the, these these fiends are waiting at the bottom of his tower for him to come out and hire them to go do things, and he pays very very well. So that's what the characters see as they approach. Um, now, two of the Nikoloths are loyal to Zeriel and have been sent here by her to assassinate Mordenkainen. So they're just blending in with these other uh, Mesoloths and Nikoloths. So if they hear what the characters have to say, that they're seeking this, uh, the bleeding citadel and the sword of Zeriel, they will take a great interest in them. They will try to then follow them, follow the characters as they uh, go through this path, kidnap one at an opportune time and take them to Zariel at her flying fortress. Which then Zariel will use that character to try to get the other characters to come to the flying fortress as like yep. a ransom. Yep. So there's a potential diversion off this path. Now, getting to Mordenkainen, Mordenkainen has absolutely no interest in the characters or their plights. He could care less about El Torel being dragged into hell. He could care less about any of that. Uh, but he is very interested in the fact that there's a wizard out there. That feels like they might be a rival to to Mordenkainen in Avernus, and he is not above sending the characters to deal with that that rival yep. for him. Yep. So Mordenkainen lies to the characters basically and says, "Yeah, I don't know anything about that, but there's this this uh, other wizard. He hangs out by this obelisk, you know, a little ways away. He probably knows something about it. So why don't you go talk to him?" And he just does this to get rid of the characters but also to hope that maybe they will deal with this potential rival if he's evil. I also and, like that Morton Cannon uses a simulacrum to talk for him. Yes. And is, he's buried somewhere in his tower somewhere. Right. He can't even be bothered to come out on his own. He sends his simulacrum out to uh, deal with the characters. Which, uh, you know, I wanna, I, I'm sure some party or another will decide to want to throw down with Morton Cannon. Oh, and, for sure. And uh, it'll be fun to watch Morton Cannon's simulacrum just blow them away. Right. Just, you know, Archmage Morton Cannon. Yeah, and if if there's any sort of, and he could also just say to all these Nikoloths and Mesoloths, um, "Hey guys, take care of this problem for me." Uh huh. And then, then you know, then it's and on, right? <laughs> then, then it's it's totally on at that point. And if if there is any threat to Mordenkainen or the tower whatsoever, the tower just disappears. It just goes on to its next point of study. I also like that the tower, like it drops in and clicks into a base. Like yeah. he's got these bases probably all over the the multiverse that this tower just goes to. It's like a Lego. 
Uh-huh. It just kind of moves and <laughs> clicks in and then moves on and that clicks into the next one. It's kind of funny. Yep. So, again, mostly all role-playing here. Um, obviously a potential for a fight, just like there's a potential for a fight uh, in the previous one. i got to say, though, any kind of fight that you have in any of these encounters is not the most efficient or beneficial way to go about things. Yep. But, you know, it, it could also, the whole encounter could be over in, in uh, two minutes. You describe the scene, Morden Canaan comes out, or Simulacrum comes out, and the information goes on, and off you go. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the obelisk. Mm-hmm. So what actually is here is there's some there's a ba- uh, Bralgura demon that is pretending to be a human and pretending to be a human wizard, and they're trapped here because Bell, the you know that 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 pit fiend that has been rivaling with the uh, Zeriel for control of Avernus and controlled Avernus for a while, mm-hmm. had had entrapped them here, and this demon is trying to trick the characters into freeing it. He's been trying to get uh, figure out this puzzle that Bell has presented to him for a long time trying to get out from from these stones so each of the stones is associated with the school of magic and they uh the the bulgura will attempt to trick them into helping with his most recent uh escape plan which can harm them right in some way shape or form or help them or help them that too there are some of you know some of the things are helpful well the, there's damage regardless right yeah, there's damage, and then there's a secondary effect, mm-hmm. which could be harmful or helpful. <laughs> I like the Modron one, right? A Modron yeah. pops up and starts following you around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't do anything but follow you around. It's like, why is this Modron following me? Then it could just say weird stuff, because, you know, Modrons yep. do that. Yep. Uh, if you want to be really funny, you could just have a Modron get summoned that's the one from the adventure that you wrote a long time ago, Sean. The one that's oh. kind of a broken oh, yeah. Modron. Yeah, yeah. What was that one's name? Oh, what was it? It was something special. Not spicy. It was like, oh boy. You know, I, I put you on the spot, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I tried. No, it, that was that was an, one addition and many brain cells ago. Yeah. Wow. So, um, after that, the uh, the wizard, if they figure it out, even if they don't figure it out, the will send them towards the mirror of Mephistar because they. It's like get Mephistopheles. That's how you talk to Mephistopheles in some way, shape, or form. Right. To to help me break out of here, and I will help you find the Bleeding Citadel, or at least help you find someone who can help you find the Bleeding Citadel. Yep. And at, at this point, my only concern is there aren't really any consequences for success or failure You know, at this point. I love role-playing encounters, and I'm fine with role-playing encounters that don't necessarily have consequences. You can just have fun with them. You, they can just be part of a story. But at some point, if you have too many of those in a row, they're, it's almost taking agency away from the characters. Um, you know, there, there's no... At the obelisk, this this uh, Barl Gura demon tries to do this thing. The characters are just there. They're just standing there watching. And they, they just take damage. And the damage is pretty much meaningless because they're just going to... They're high enough level, the damage is just going to go away as soon as they move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I just I wanted there to be a little bit more development in terms of consequences. Not, not even necessarily choices, but just consequences for, for failure and or success. And, and something more to for the DM to 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 use if you will so let me make sense yeah it does let me ask you a question about this Mm -hmm. then right can this encounter be eliminated 
And can you roll some of the information that is given into the mirror of Mephistar encounter? Most likely. So I feel like if you can do that, you can just get rid of this one. Because the one before at the Tower of Urm has the potential to, to, be, to have somebody get kidnapped. There's, there's like a thing that can happen there, which right. is rather interesting. Right. And the, um, the spawning trees encounter, if they just kill everybody and you want to be that, that game master that's going to be like, well, you killed everybody and you get the information, what are you going to do now? You better go make a deal with the devil. Like, that's a yeah. consequence, too. Right. But here yeah, it's a lot trickier, right? Right, right. So there, you as the DM could add consequences, um, but they they aren't. They're not. Offered. They're not there. Yeah, they're not offered up as part of the main story. Which is which so, is why we're here talking about it, right? Right, right. Which is why you know we're we're either giving you ideas or we're just telling you think about this, come up with it, your own idea based on the players that you have at the table and what you know that they might enjoy. Uh, the obelisk area is also, in my opinion, a very good spot to drop in um, a warlord encounter right around mm-hmm. it, because yeah. it's a it's these the stones are sort of a, a, a magic circle of some sort. So like that's that is a neat little place to have that kind of encounter. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could do a great set piece battle here, um, especially if it happens right after the characters get zapped. Um, you know, some of them get. Everyone takes some damage, lightning damage, mm-hmm. and then suffers an additional effect, which could actually be positive or negative. But to have that sort of chaotic thing happen, and then and then have devils swoop in right at that point to attack, you know, would be cool. Mm-hmm. So that you can utilize that too. Also, my thing about the uh, if you kill this demon, then you don't have information. Also, you'll have to make a deal then with somebody yep. to to move on. Yep. Which is probably a better fallback than having just Lulu tell you. Like maybe you have yeah. the Lulu, you can play the Lulu card once, but then mm-hmm. you're like, well, like Lulu's like, I don't know, go yeah. make a deal with the devil, I guess. Yeah, they're not all bad, sort of. Yep. I mean, they're all bad, but they're not all bad. Yes. Just so because so, you're a bad devil doesn't mean you're a bad devil. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Words mean things. Yeah. Uh, part two. So, uh, so if the characters follow the path, this. Uh, demon, this Bargura demon, asked them to go speak to Mephistopheles on its behalf. Oh, okay. Sure. Let's go. Um, the characters then go to the mirror of Mephistar. Um, this is sort of a portal that leads to the layer of hell that Mephistopheles oversees. The, the correct um, statement there, the, the, the most important word there is sort of. Yeah. So they look into this sheet of ice and they, the characters see a Cambion who appears on the other side of the sheet of ice to bargain on behalf of Mephistopheles. And, of course, he says, well, yes, I will help you. What, what, what the Baralgura demon wants is to be forgiven. Um, and so that's what the characters are going to try to get the demon released. Mm-hmm. And then the demon will tell them what they want to know. Yeah. So they So they go here. Um, and, you know, they can say, hey, we're here to speak for this demon. Can Mephistopheles let him off the hook? And the the Cambion, in true Fetch Quest fashion, says, well, maybe, 
if you do this thing for me for us. Well, actually, the Cambian one, the Cambian's cool because its face is frozen in agony and it's got a yeah. steaming pot of water that it pours on oh, its yeah. face to melt yeah. it. Like that's cool. Like that's yep. just that's straight up cool. Like I'm like, yeah. oh, this is ba- this is so so neat. We we are, um, I, we are skipping. I am, I should say, skipping over a lot of cool flavor stuff. Yeah, there's there is there is a lot of great flavor in this that can be totally played up and should be totally played up uh, to get this sense of hellishness across. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they're going, they sweeten the deal because they're going to give a secret mm-hmm. uh, plus an intelligence or wisdom boost. Yep. Those are not always easy to come by in D&D. So. No, no. And, you know, so he says, not yet. I'll, do, I'll throw in all of this other stuff if you can do this one thing for us, which is dam up part of the river sticks and not only will you know not only will we give you all everything that you want and an increase to your intelligence and wisdom here's an imp that will actually do most of the work and so an imp appears a cold imp uh being from one of the frigid layers of hell made out of snow in fact yep and so he, uh, the imp has shatter sticks mm-hmm. aka dynamite <laughs> to uh- to dam the river. Also, this is a binding deal, and the way that mm-hmm. the deal is bound is that yep. the the um, Cam- Cambian uh, scritches the deal in words on one side of the mirror, which appears on the other side of the mirror, then melts, and there and the Cambian's like, "Drink it," and that'll lock the deal up. I'm like, yep. "Wow, okay, now we're yep. now we're doing some demonic deals. I'm, I'm yep. into it." Yep. So the, after the characters drink the deal. Yeah. Devilish deals. Sorry, yeah, devils okay. and demons are different things in this war. In this game, it's so. true. Words, words again. Mean words things. matter. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, the, the devil says, "Drink these words, and our deal will be bound." And sure enough, it is. So then the um, the characters oh, then head off. But first, Chris, yeah, there's say one your, more really important thing. thing. As soon as you stare into this mirror, like you will see a reflection of yourself that is like gaunt and. And, and awful looking and rind and ice. Um, you have to make a saving throw. If you fail that saving throw, you were stunned for a minute, but you're also staring into the mirror. And when you do that, uh, Mephistopheles knows everything that you know. Mm-hmm. And if Mephistopheles knows what you know, Mephistopheles knows that you're going after the sword of Zariel. And if Mephistopheles is armed with that knowledge, he's like, oh, I'm later going to send an ice devil to murder these people and take that sword so that I can use it as leverage over Zariel later. Yep. So, so good. That's yep, like so, so now, devil. That's perfect. And what that is is a consequence that adds to the story, is mechanically based, and you know is is cool. Uh huh. So it's, it, same yeah. thing as the um the thing at the uh at, at the tower because there's a there's a thing that can happen. Like if you right. talk out loud too much about what you're doing, mm-hmm. these these uh, yugalos will start following you around and they could snatch somebody. Yeah, for sure. So, if the characters agree, they are then led to the pit of Shumrath by the this ice imp. Ooh, can I can I talk about this one? Do it. All right. So the the slime it's a it's a big giant pit of slime, like a huge pit of slime, and there's a bit of the river sticks that's flowing into it, and you can find out that the slime is a degenerated pit fiend. Maybe you'd never find that out, but the 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 DM knows it's a degenerated pit fiend that is under the influence of the river sticks. Like it's just this. And it's only got one thought, so you can commune with it, and all it wants is revenge on Bell. And it feels bad about itself, and it wants revenge on Bell. Also, on top of that, there's an Ultraloth that's being repeatedly dunked into the slime. His name is Bazit, 
and he's like, let me out of here. It's very much uh, like that scene with Mad Mardigan in Willow, if right, anybody remembers right. that movie. If you don't, you should go watch it. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's like a geek, geek fantasy staple. So uh, it, it's this poor Bazit is being dunked repeatedly into the uh, into the slime for like a minute or two, and then being pulled out. It's it's, it's total waterboarding, right, or something mm -hmm. like that. It feels like that, and right. it's it's awful. But he will teach you how to make a, a homunculus out of the slime. Like everybody can then make a homunculus out of the slime. You have little pets, little Avernus demon pets. It's great, or yeah, demon pets or devil pets, I should say. Sorry. Um, so that's that's pretty fun. Uh, if you don't want to deal with them, you don't have to. That's fine. But the snow imp will then dam up the river sticks by st sticking these those shatter sticks into the ground. Uh, they'll do all the work. But while that's going on, the imp gets attacked because you know Bell doesn't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. So there you go. That's uh, that's what's going on. You're, and you're gonna fight off the the demons that attack, or the is it the devils that attack, while the imp is doing what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And if you do it, then the, the river sticks gets dammed up. Uh, you can go back and uh, tell the mirror that you did it, and you'll can go back to the obelisk and then let the by, by just telling the Balagura that uh, if you just pledge your loyalty to Mephistopheles, he'll let you out. And that happens, and uh, the the uh, pillars, those obelisk pillars, all like ice over and break. And then he mm -hmm. tells you that the crypt of the Hellrider is where you're going to go next. Yep. And did I, did I catch it all? I think you got it all there. <laughs> oh my yep. lord, that's a that's a big mouthful. It is. It is. When I read uh, it, I was like, man, that's a lot of stuff in a really short period of time. Yeah, I mean, some of these are very short in the book, like less than some are less than a column, you know, on a page. Mm -hmm. um, but it, they are thick with cool. I mean, that's so evocative of hell, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. That, that whole situation. Um, so, yeah, uh, now, f fairly importantly, I, I don't know if this, th this could actually play into things later, um, possibly, depending on where you go, that pit fiend will reconstitute itself in about 48 hours, and when it mm -hmm. does, it'll go after Bell's Forge, and mm -hmm. that's a location in the game that you might show up at, so right. when you show up there, this pit fiend might be attacking it. Yep, and again, now, there's a great consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it could help the characters when when uh, when they get to Bell's Forge. Also, if I was a, the game master running this and you let Bazit out, I would then stick Bazit at the uh, Wandering Emporium so mm -hmm. that he can be a recurring NPC. Right. And you're going to know that he is a servant of Mephistopheles. And you can use that to knowledge to give them choices or to give them leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, or they could work against them because if Mephistopheles knows that they're after the sword and he then he goes after the sword, um, this uh, demon, uh, Bargura demon. Well, I, I was talking about Bazit the Ultraloth, but you could, oh, do, I'm the, sorry. You could do the you're, same. You could do the yeah. exact same thing with the Balagura yeah. demon, too. Right. Exactly. Sorry. I was I was on the wrong. Uh, no, that's OK. I'm with you, on the wrong I'm... fiend. But, yeah, you could yeah. use all of those. Have them reoccur. Right. Uh, in some way, based on how they interacted with the characters. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, like uh, we, we talked about this, I think, and then we'll we'll have to end because we're getting tight on time. Yep. But we talked about this before, like the, as this adventure progresses through the book, like it goes from being much tighter to being much more fluid and letting the game master make or dungeon master make a lot more choices about what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And like like 
this is we're getting to the point where it's it's still got some constraints on it. Like there's a path to follow, but you can add a whole lot of stuff in and mm-hmm. in and around it if you want to. Right. And, and more, are... more factions are getting into play now. Yep. Like, uh, yeah, you get Mephistopheles in this now. You get Mordenkainen in this now. I mean, even though Mordenkainen isn't going to do much, um, there's a lot of different factors, a lot of different uh, possibilities for interplay and unique stories for your table mm-hmm. as opposed to just following the one story in the book. Heck, if Mordenkainen, if you want Mordenkainen to play a bigger part, when Morden, if Mordenkainen finds out about the Sword of Zeriel, like... That mm. might be a very interesting thing for Morden Kane to want to deal with or find yep. find yeah. and, and, and study. So like yeah. that could be another thing that you drop in. It's not like in the book, but that's a thing that you can totally do. Absolutely. And you know, he could come down as an ally, he could come down as an adversary, uh, or somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Because everything is kind of gray in this world. Because no mm-hmm. everybody's kinda of looking out for themselves. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that's our episode for this week. Next week, we'll get into the rest of this path and maybe a little bit of the next path. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to say, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Let's do a few Patreon shoutouts. Uh, Brandon Barnes, the old school DM Randy Farmer, uh, the Mad Wizard Merwin, who patrons the show, even though, you know, he's on the show. It's mad, right? It's madness. It's madness. 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 Uh, Troy Sandlin, Will Doyle, Zach Goins, Chris Constantine, Cindy Moore, Eric Mengi, Eric Simon, Miko Froelich, Andrew Demps, Avi. Waxberg, Brett, just Brett, Chris Steele, The Chromatic Chameleon, Curtis Y. Takahashi, Daniel Thomas, Evil Rich, J. David Chrisman, and J.T. Evans. Thank you so much for being our patrons. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Dallas D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website. And for a paltry $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you get a shout-out like you just heard, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes and access to our Slack room, where you can chat with us whenever and however you so choose or for just one single dollar you can get access to our sneak attack segment and this week's sneak attack segment is going to be awesome that's all i'm saying Mm -hmm. i got some things to say and i know chris does too (laughs) i always do uh you know any of those other levels will give you the sneak attack show also so you Mm -hmm. know but if you can't help us monetarily but you want to give us a boost just talk about us on social media tell Mm -hmm. tell a friend that listens to podcasts that likes gaming podcasts to listen to down with D&D. Please. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Uh, reviews also are useful. Um, you can do it via Apple podcast if, if you so choose because other podcatchers use that, but anything will help spread the word of down with D&D. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Sean, where can we find you on the interwebs? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can talk with us on the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. How about you, Chris? Uh, you can hit me up at the light 101 or at misdirected mark on Twitter. That is another great place to find us. Now, if you want more content like down with D and D aside from the website, which you can go to, you can hit us up on our new Twitch channel. We play a lot of games and talk about stuff on that channel. Uh, you can go to our YouTube page where this show is in a bunch of other shows such as Jang Yu hustle, where you can train along fellow students, Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Jang Yu hustle. Eric and Eli, they make their kung fu stronger watching wuxia films and then discussing how to apply their observations to game design because they are designing a wuxia game. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Mr. Mad Wizard Merlin, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill some abyssal chickens. But if we do that, then we'll probably have terrible consequences. You know what abyssal chickens taste like? Chicken? That's fatty? Mm -hmm. It says so right in the book. It does. 
Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. 